You guys, you guys look incredible at the 11:30 service. Thank you so much for being here. We are diving into week two of our Haters Gonna Hate series. I don't know if you were able to be here last week. Uh, I hope so. But last week we started this off by just talking about how how do we deal with what is the appropriate response for for dealing with the critics and the doubters and the haters and the naysayers in our lives who don't believe in or aren't as excited about what God is doing in our lives, the dreams that he's given us, the purpose that he's put in us, maybe some of the calling that he's put in our lives, what he wants us to do. You know, not everybody's always excited about that, so, so how do we deal with that? That was, that was last week, but this week I want to talk to you about what I believe is even more dangerous than critics and doubters and haters speaking to us. I want to talk to us about what I believe is the most dangerous and most influential hater in your life, and that's you. The way that you talk to yourself, the things that you believe about yourself, the ways that you critique yourself. See, I believe that what others say to us hurts and it can get us off track sometimes, but I believe that what we say to ourselves and believe about ourselves as opposed to what God believes about us and what God is doing in us is even more dangerous. So that's what we're going to that's what we're going to do today. And I remember it happened three, it's, it's happened three different times in the Isaacs household. I'm sure it's happened to you as well, or for you as well. But when you find out that you're pregnant or your wife tells you that she is pregnant, there is just this excitement and this enthusiasm about what is about to happen in your house. We have three kids. We have a six-year-old uh, a three-year-old here in a couple days, and then a, a four-week-old. We've actually had five pregnancies. we got three kids. And every time that Andrea tells me I'm pregnant, I mean, it is just this unbelievable, uh, just, just, just incredibly joyful season where we're dreaming and we're thinking about the nursery and we're getting on Pinterest and we're having parties and we're, you know, we're taking pictures and we're Facebooking. And I mean, it's just... We are so excited. We're thinking about the future. We're thinking about what college they're going to go to. And dads are thinking about what their batting average is going to be and and what scholarships they're going to get. And some of you weirdos are already thinking about what elementary school you need to get them registered for. And I mean, just you're thinking about all of these things, right? And so early on in that process, early on in the that season of the pregnancy, there's just so much excitement and passion because you are you're dreaming about the future. Thinking about what's going to happen and what it's, it's, it's going to, what it's going to be like. But after that, that season up front of the dreaming and the excitement of what it's going to be like, that season is followed by seven or eight or nine months, if you will, of not as exciting stuff as the first stuff. Nausea, weight gain, heartburn. I don't know about your house, but maybe a little snoring. I don't know. Um, some physical pain. I mean, just like, just a really uncomfortable, painful, hurting uh, thing that's going on. And it's not near as exciting as the, the dreaming season and the early stages when everybody's all excited about the pregnancy. And I'm married to this incredibly strong, passionate, optimistic, enthusiastic woman. You know that if you know her. She is definitely the better half of this arrangement. And like she really is awesome. But even this strong, passionate, enthusiastic, optimistic woman in the middle of every pregnancy has told me the same thing. Maybe this has happened to you. 
At some point in the process, she will look at me and she will say, enjoy it. It's never happening again. It's never happening again. I mean, we're never doing this again, right? Enjoy this baby because I hate being pregnant and I am never doing this again. So that season lasts for a little while. And then you, at some point, end up going to the hospital. And this is the worst of it, right? I mean, the pain and the contractions and the shots and the, you know, what, and, the, and the, the, the bathrobe they make you wear. I don't even know what, the gown, you know? I mean, it's just, it's just, that's not a great season. And you're, you're pushing, and I mean, it's just painful, and it's hurting. You're screaming, you're yelling. There's physical threats being made at your husband. Blame is being placed. I mean, there's just all sorts of things going. It's, it's maybe the worst part of the, whole, of the whole process, right? And throughout the whole pregnancy, you've dealt with all these struggles and, and all these, these situations, and it's been a grueling time period, Right? And maybe you're not sure if you ever want to do it again. Maybe you're not even sure if it was worth it. Who knows? But all of a sudden, a baby comes out, right? And the doctor takes the baby and wraps it up and hands it to you, mom. And you're crying and you're, you're smiling and laughing and, you know, you're delirious. I mean, you know, you're just... So many incredible things happening. And in that moment, no mom has ever thought to herself, it wasn't worth it. No. No mom's ever thought that. Because in that moment, you're holding the dream. In that moment, you're holding that thing that you didn't know if it would ever come. And you're holding the the dreams and the future. You're holding that thing. Listen, get this. You're holding that thing that was in you the whole time. You just didn't have it yet. You just didn't have it yet. And the same thing is true about what God wants to do and is doing in your life. That God has put dreams and he's put purpose and he's put calling in you. And you don't have it yet. And you got some nausea and some weight gain and some some muscle stretching, okay? And, And listen, the dreams are still true. The calling is still true. The purpose is still true about your life and where God is taking you and what he wants to do in you, but right now you're not sure if it's worth it. Right now you don't know if you actually want what God has for you. Right now you're not sure if you ever want to do it again, but the dreams and the purpose and the calling are still in you. They're still in you. And if you won't give up, and if you'll hang in there, and if you'll stay close to God, and if you'll just, you'll just stick close to God and let him keep developing and growing that dream and growing that purpose and growing that calling, there will come a day. When you'll hold that thing, or you'll be doing that thing, or you'll experience that thing, or you'll be in that moment, and there won't be anything inside of you that says it's not worth it. You'll know, man, this is what God was doing the whole time. But it's a journey, and it's a process. And the same thing is true for what happened in the life of Joseph. We started talking about Joseph last week, and we said in in Genesis 37 that Uh, His brothers hated him because of his dreams and the way he talked about them. That Joseph began to have these dreams and and God was giving these dreams and and telling him that he was going to be someone of power, someone of influence, someone of, you know, like um, he, he was going to be someone important. And he began to talk about these dreams, but this was just the beginning stage. This was the get on Pinterest and look at nursery stages. This was like, isn't this gonna be awesome? Wow, look what God's going to do through me. And that's what he's experiencing at 17 years old. 
And he begins to tell his brothers about it, and they hate him for it in the way that he talks about it. Because people who are status quo will always hate dreamers. And, and so and he, and that, that happens at 17, and the next 12 years after Joseph tells his brothers the dream that God has given him is filled with betrayal, he's sold into slavery, he's falsely accused of rape, he's put in prison, he's forgotten about in prison for the next 12 years. The dream was still true. The calling was still true. The purpose was still inside of him. God had not forgotten about him. God was not caught off guard by this. God was in full control, always working throughout the whole situation. But 12 years after Joseph gets the dream, he's sitting in a prison cell after experiencing betrayal and arrest and false accusations and being forgotten. And the Bible doesn't tell us this, but I have to believe that Joseph is sitting there thinking to himself, what happened? What happened? This is not where I'm supposed to be. This is not what my life is supposed to look like. I'm not supposed to be working this job. I was already supposed to be married by now. My kids were not supposed to be like those kids. I I was not supposed to not have my business yet. I was not supposed to be making this income or living in this neighborhood. Life was not supposed to look like this. I thought God had a dream that he put in me or a purpose or a calling that He put in me, and this is not what it looks like. The reality of what I have now is not what I thought God was going to do through me or in me or for me. Mark Batterson, he's a pastor at National Community Church in Washington, D.C., incredible author. I'd encourage you to read anything he writes, but he has a quote that he uses often, and and I just love the quote. He says says that, that all of us tend to overestimate what God wants to do in us or through us in the short term. That all of us tend to overestimate what God wants to do in us and through us in the short term. But also, all of us tend to underestimate what God wants to do in us and through us in the long term. That all of us think that God's going to do something big now, but nobody thinks that in time God wants to do something big in us in us and, and through us. And so what I want to do for just a few moments we have today is I want to talk to you about that journey, about that process. Why? Why did Joseph, why did Joseph have dreams at 17 and it take 12 years to get there? Why did he go through all of that? And I can't tell you the specifics of why he went through everything that he went through. But I think the Bible does teach us kind of a principle or, or teach us something that was not it's not something that just happened in Joseph's life, but it did happen for Joseph. And that is this, that, that God had to make or form or develop Joseph into who he needed him to be in order for him to do what he needed him to do. That 17-year-old Joseph that had the dreams from God was not the guy or the man that God needed him to be in order to do what God needed him to do. That God had to grow him and develop him and to, and to shape him. And I, I've seen this happen in my own life, experienced this in, in my own life. And I was 24 when I became the pastor of the church here. And, and I remember my dad, you know, saying, Jason, pastoring's hard, man. You know, pastoring's hard work. I'm like, yeah, I'm sure it is, Dad, for those other guys, but I got this. You know, I mean, I was so arrogant and prideful and just like, 
I know what I'm doing. I knew exactly how it was going to go and how much success we were going to have and what God was going to do. And I mean, I was just so filled with arrogance, like, it's, this, is how it's, this is how it's going to happen. And I, by no means do I believe that God is, is done with me, and he's still teaching me so much. I'm, I'm, I'm learning more than I'm doing, but, but I was not who God needed me to be in order to do what God fully needed me to do. He let me do some things, but, but 24-year-old Jason was not who God needed me to be in order to do what he needed me to do, and so... Really, the first few years was God just beating the mess out of me to get that pride and that arrogance out of me, to figure out how to put some humility in me, to get me to where he needed to get me in order to do and to fulfill some of the dreams and the callings and the purpose that he had for my life. But I was not who I needed to be. It wasn't a finished product. The, the, the guy that Jason gave the dreams and the calling and the purpose to at 16 and 17 and 18 years old that guy got the dreams, but that guy couldn't handle actually doing and living out and fulfilling the dreams that God wanted to do. Does that make sense to everybody? Same thing's true for Joseph. So I want to show you in Genesis chapter 41. Genesis chapter 41. We're going to look at two verses. If you have a Bible, get that out. Read with me. I think it's, it's powerful to kind of read along. It will be up on the screen. But if you have a Bible, maybe a pen or something, I want you to underline a few words today. Genesis 41.9. Let me catch you up to where we are. We've already talked about everything that happened to Joseph He's now in prison, and he has, uh, he has helped a guy out who is a cup holder for Pharaoh. The cup holder leaves and says, I'll never forget about you. I'll get you out of here, and the cup holder forgets. And now two years later, Joseph is still sitting in prison. In Genesis 41, verse 9, here's what it says. It says, finally. Everybody say, finally. 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 You know, it's easy sometimes to read the Bible and just read the words and go like, oh, yeah, finally, the cupbearer, like it's just a word. But I want you just for a second to just put yourself in Joseph's shoes. Put yourself in the place of Joseph in this story that 12 years ago, God gave you a dream that you were going to be powerful, important, have influence, somebody special. And you were betrayed by your family and, and sold into slavery and falsely accused of rape and put into prison and thought you were going to get out of prison and then forgotten. And then the Bible says, finally, I don't know about you, but there have been some moments in my life where it was like, finally. And Joseph is sitting there in this prison, and finally, the chief cupbearer speaks up. He says, today I've been reminded of my failure. And then Genesis 41, 14 says, Pharaoh sent for Joseph at once. Everybody say, at once. If you have a Bible, maybe underline that. And he was quickly, everybody say, quickly. Maybe you want to underline that. Brought from prison, he shaved and changed his clothes, and he went and stood before Pharaoh. This is it. This is the moment. This is the intersection where Joseph's dreams are about to come true. And as I was reading this story at the beginning of the year this year, it's really kind of where this series, the idea for this series came out of. I'm reading this story, and I've read this story 25 or 30 times. My dad actually wrote a book on Joseph. So, I mean, we know Joseph pretty well around the house. And I've read this story several times, and as I was reading verse 14, I just kind of chuckled. And it, had come to, it came to life for me in, in a way that maybe it had never come to life before. And I read those two words, at once and quickly. And I kind of just chuckled because I thought about Joseph and what Joseph would have said if I would asked him. I guarantee you that there was nothing about this process that felt quick or at once to Joseph. Like for everybody else around Pharaoh, they were like, oh man, that was quick. Like this, this Joseph guy showed up out of nowhere. For, for, the Joseph, you know, for the other guys, it was like, man, Joseph's like an overnight success. Joseph is a, man, he just, he's just a prodigy. Man, look at this. 
But if you ask Joseph, what was it like? There's nothing about that process that Joseph would say, man, it was just all of a sudden, just quickly, just at once. That's the way it is for our lives, too, that when God begins to bring our dreams to life, our purpose into reality, our calling, gives us opportunities in that, everybody around us, nobody's really going to understand what we've been through and the process that we've gone through. They're just going to think it happened all of a sudden. They're going to want to know what the secret is. You know, it's like when you lose weight and people come up and ask you, like, what'd you do? Like, they think you're going to say something magical, like, oh, man, it's just like a, it was a carrot-only diet or something. Like, no, the answer is I ate, I, for a long time, I ate good and exercise. I'm like, oh, you know. But to them, it's going to be like, oh, man, I, you just lost weight all of a sudden. You're like, no, 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 it was nothing about it that was sudden. Nothing about it was quick. And so God begins to do these things in you and give you these dreams and callings and purpose and begins to bring them out and, and things begin to happen and and the people around you don't understand what you've been through and the process that you've gone through. Maybe they don't think that you're worthy of the opportunity. Maybe they don't think you've earned it. But you know the journey and you know the process. And so, so God gives us dreams. He, he gives us purpose. That's somewhere over here. And then God takes us on a journey to develop us, to grow us, make us into who he needs us to be in order to do what he needs us to do. But here's the problem. I think a lot of us in the room, uh, we, we like for God to use a microwave on our dreams. We like for God to use a microwave on our prayers. Like we like to pray about something and God to just answer it quickly we like for God to give us purpose and calling. We like for God to, to birth this dream in us to be, you know, not addicted anymore. And we're like, okay, God, um, I don't want to be addicted anymore. I, you put that dream in my heart, God. Okay, let's see. All right, I'm ready. Are we done? Am I, am I, am I not addicted anymore? Okay, God, I'm not married yet, but, you, but I believe I'm going to be married. So all right, I'm going to go to this restaurant. Where's he at, God? Where's my, where's my dream? All right. We're like, God, I, I need it now. I want my dream now. Okay, God, the police car just pulled me over. Any, uh, everybody turns into a prosperity preacher when you get pulled over by the cops. Like, you just, God, a little favor, a little, little right here, you know? Anyway, all right, yeah, so maybe that's just me. We want God to use a microwave on our dreams, on our prayers. And there's nothing wrong with that. Like, you, this is natural to want this, right? Actually, I have, a, um, I have it here somewhere. Let's see. Yeah, I got it right here. I actually went to the grocery store and picked up this uh, frozen turkey patty. It's really kind of disgusting, actually. And uh, I thought what we would do is make somebody lunch today. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take this patty. I'm going to pop it in here for about 10 seconds or so. Just put that in there. All right. All right, let's see. Is anybody hungry? Does everybody want to eat this? Anybody? Nobody's hungry? You don't want to eat this delicious turkey patty? Of course you don't want to eat this turkey patty. Everybody knew that there's no way it was going to be ready. It's a silly illustration, but the reason it's so powerful is because we know that that's not the way that it works. Nobody in this room thought, man, that's a great idea, Jason. Just put that patty in there for 10 seconds. It's going to be delicious. We knew that's not how it works. You can't put a frozen patty in the microwave. It, it, you, you won't cook the inside. You, you gotta, it won't be thawed out. Like it's gotta, 
it's not, it's not ready. You can't just put it, you can't just put it in there. I mean, let's be honest. How many of us ever think to ourselves, like, man, I just want a good microwaved meal, you know? We don't think that. Like, you can cook microwave meals. I mean, I, I, got a, uh, I got a chicken pot pie right here, all right? It's actually been out since last night, so you don't want to eat this. But um, I got this chicken pot pie, and we could pop this in the microwave, and you could eat it. But let's kind of just be honest for a second. I mean, not everybody, but how many people think, man, I really like my chicken pot pies microwaved? Like, you want somebody to make it and, and construct it and put it in the oven and get it just right, right? I mean, unless you're like a 19-year-old fraternity guy or something, like, you don't want your food coming from the microwave. Nobody's like, man, I just want a good piece of microwave fish. Nobody thinks that. Nobody. And here's, here's the point. Listen, there are meals that you can put in the microwave and eat, and you can have them now, but that's all they'll ever be. And so if you need it now, there's a meal that you can cook, but it's not the best meal, and it's not exactly what, you know, everybody dreams of when they're, when they're hungry, right? So we want God to use a, a microwave on our dreams, but that's not what God does. God doesn't microwave our dreams, our purpose, our calling, microwave our prayers. That's not what God does. I believe that instead of using a microwave, God uses two things on our dreams, our calling, and our purpose. The first thing that God uses is God uses a crock pot. God uses a crock pot. And everybody in here, look, I, I don't have to take a survey. I know. If I said, hey, would you like a meal that came from a microwave or a crock pot? Everybody in the room says, crock pot. I mean, you may not like the food that comes out just based on your taste, but it's really hard to, to make a bad meal in a crock pot. Because what you do is you plug it in, you put all the ingredients in, and what? You just let it sit. And while it's sitting, the heat is making the food. And you know what really it's doing? It's tenderizing it. It's tenderizing it. It's softening the meat. I mean, I, if I, if I, I just think of my own life and what God has done in me. And more than anything else over time, God's just like, I just got to tenderize you. I got to soften you. I, I, you, you. I've got to just let you sit and just take some time. We see this all throughout the Bible. Moses. God has a dream that he puts in Moses' heart, and Moses thinks God put it in the microwave, so he goes out one day and just kills an Egyptian soldier. And God says, I just want you to go sit in the crock pot for 40 years out in the desert. Go out there and just sit. Just sit. And so Moses goes out into the desert, and he just moves sheep back and forth from A to B, thinking that his life is over. Thinking his life is over because, you know, he messed it up, and God says, man, you're still my guy. The dream is still in there. The purpose is still in there. The calling is still in there. The destiny is still in there. I just need to put it in the crock pot for about 40 years and tenderize you and soften you up, get your heart right, cook the inside, really get to it. And then I'm going to show up one day, and I'm going to say, you're my guy. You're my guy. Time just has a way of maturing us naturally, right? Joseph sat in prison. Even Jesus, Jesus was 33 years old when he died, but he didn't start his ministry until 30. Even Jesus spent 30 years preparing for three of public ministry. God put Jesus in the crock pot for 30 years. But we say, oh man, God's, God put this dream in my heart. Now, God, come on, give it, give it to me now, God, give it. Come on, I'm ready. 
And God says, I just want you to just go sit over there. I just need to take some time. Time just matures us on its own. You can't help it. It just matures you. I can prove it to you. How many of you, if I said to you, hey, um, how many of you would, go, would like to go back to 16-year-old you and give yourself some advice knowing what you know now? How many people of you would raise your hand? How many people say, I give both hands and a leg right there? I mean, I'm, I, I could really just give me some heartache, right? I, I could save myself some heartache. Of course. Why? Time. Life experience. And, and to be honest with you, yeah, you probably could have listened to people. Yeah, that's true. But in reality, there were just some things that just took time. There's nothing you could really do about it. And I know that it's natural. I know that it's natural for one God to use a microwave on our dreams. But I got to tell you, at 31, I got a lot of life ahead of me, Lord willing. But I got to tell you, I am learning, just beginning to learn to thank God for the crockpot. Just some, I mean, I'm not there yet, and I get frustrated, and don't, I'm not super spiritual. I'm just saying... There are some times where I recognize that God's just sitting me in a crock pot, and out of my frustration, still sometimes I'll think, God, thank you for just, thank you for just slow cooking me, you know? Won't you just turn to the person sitting beside and say, like, I'm a work in progress. God's slow cooking me. Come on, just tell him, I'm slow cooking. I'm slow cooking, right? And so, and so God doesn't use a microwave. Sometimes he uses a crock pot. He just gives, he just says, I just need, I, you're just not ready yet. I mean, you just need time. Nobody likes to hear that. But God doesn't just use a crock pot. God also uses a pressure cooker. Now, I don't know a lot about pressure cookers because I don't ever cook with a pressure cooker. But as I began to research it a little bit and talk to people who do use pressure cookers, I figured out that my grandmother Lanier, Meemaw Lanier, used a pressure cooker all the time. I didn't know it, but that's what that whistling sound was in the house all the time, right? And so I would, we would go to Meemaw Lanier's house um, for Thanksgiving every year. She had this small house, so all the grandkids would sleep on the floor. And so we would wake up on Thanksgiving morning, and almost every year I would wake up to, you know what I'm talking about? And this really stank smell, because my grandmother would cook collard greens every Thanksgiving, and it would smell up the house, and, 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 but she'd be using that, that pressure cooker. And here's what I found out. So you probably knew this. Here's what I found out about a pressure cooker. A pressure cooker cooks a little bit faster than a crock pot, it still takes a little time. It's not a microwave, but it cooks faster than a crock pot. And the reason it cooks a little faster than a crock pot is because, yes, there's heat and time, but now there's pressure. There's pressure now. And the pressure, when you seal, you seal the top, and, and in that pressure environment, when it's ready, you'll hear it whistle, but, but it's, it's the time, it's the heat, and it's the pressure. The pressure, the crock pot represents time. The pressure cooker represents God testing us. God testing us. And we don't like that idea or that concept. Like, I don't like the idea of God testing me or that's not fair. But it's just a really biblical thing. That God tests us to see what's in us, to see how we will respond, to see how we will react. God will put us in the pressure cooker. It's that proving ground where we kind of find out for ourselves, and where God kind of finds out. If we're ready for the next stage, we're ready for the next place. Judges 2, 22 and 23 says, uh, I did this, talking about God, to test Israel, to see whether or not they would follow the ways of the Lord as their ancestors did. That is why the Lord left those nations in place. He did not quickly drive them out or allow Joshua to conquer them all. So let me tell you what that means. God says, I tested Israel because I did not allow Joshua to get what he wanted as fast as he wanted it. 
And by not letting him have it as fast as he wanted it, I was able to see what was really in his heart. And if they would follow me, even though they didn't get what they wanted. The pressure cooker is the proving ground in our life where we have to, where we kind of figure out what's in us. How many of you have ever gone through something and you swore to yourself, I'm never going to make it through this? How many of you would say, I thought I would never make it through? Well, guess what? You did. And you learned something about yourself. You learned what your pain tolerance was. You learned what your emotional pain tolerance was. You learned how much faith you have. You learned how much to depend on God. That happens in the pressure cooker, right? You did make it through. Joseph had an opportunity in the pressure cooker because God's eventual dream for Joseph is that he was going to be second in command for the largest world power at the time, Egypt. He was going to be the vice president of the, of the world power. But God was kind of putting him in the pressure cooker in a season where he was second in command to a guy named Potiphar on a much smaller scale. And he was testing Joseph. Now, Joseph didn't know this, but he was on a small scale of what God wanted to do in him on a large scale. And one day, Potiphar's wife shows up and says, it's just you and I. I'm attractive. You're attractive. I want to sleep with you. Joseph could have done it. Nobody would have known. And in that moment, the heat and the time and the pressure, Joseph has to make a decision. Joseph says, I can't do it. I can't do it to God, and I can't do it to your husband. And the Bible doesn't say this, and we don't know if this is true or not, but I have to believe in that moment, God knew there's a guy I can count on. I can put him in charge of all the resources of Egypt and know that he'll have integrity and character and honor because he could have done this and nobody would have known, but he chose not to. He chose not to, right? The pressure cooker is the proving ground. It's where we learn from successes and it's where we learn from failures. And listen, I want to tell you this because this has been in my heart so strong this week. I believe so strongly that some of you in this room need to hear this so strongly. That just because you're sitting in the crock pot right now, or just because you're sitting in the pressure cooker, and it feels like nothing is happening, doesn't mean nothing is happening. That just because it feels like that God is not working, doesn't mean that God is not working. This is the kind of the phrase that has just been in my heart all week. Listen, God is working while we're waiting. God is working while we're waiting. Every time Andrea finds out she's pregnant, you know, every now and then she'll update me on the size of the baby. And it's like that, you know. And then a week later, it's like that. And I'm like, that was nothing. But she's feeling it, right? And just because you don't feel like anything's happening doesn't mean it's not. It's growing. God's working. God is shaping you, developing you. He's growing you to make you into who you need to be in order to do what he needs you to do. He doesn't want to use a microwave. He could, and you'd taste like a microwave meal. God wants to make you into something great. Do something great in you. It's going to put you in the crock pot, in the pressure cooker. So I want to try to be as practical as possible, be as helpful as possible to you this morning. So what do we do with it? And what do we do while we wait? What do we do while we're in the crock pot? What do we do while we're in the pressure cooker? What do we do... When we're not where we want to be and where we not, we're not where we think we're going to get to, like we're just kind of where we are. What do we do with that? I want to give you two things. Maybe you want to write these down. 
two things that we should do while we wait. Number one is we got to stay close to God. We got to stay close to God. Last week we talked about hearing from God and kind of a no-brainer, and it's the same with staying close to God. We've got to stay close to God because when we stay close to God, our faith will stay lifted, our strength will be lifted, encouraged, as opposed to the farther we get away from God, the more we start telling ourselves it's not worth it, the more we start telling ourselves it's not going to happen, we're never going to make it, it's not we were wrong, it wasn't really God who gave us that dream, it wasn't really, you got to stay close to God. One of the great things about staying close to God is you're able to spend more time with God and say, God, what are you trying to teach me right now? What's the lesson that you're trying to teach me? What is it that I'm supposed to be learning right now? Because if I've got to go through all this pain and I've got to go through all this difficulty, I don't want to get to the end of it and not learn anything. So what are you trying to teach me? And the more, the more mornings you're getting up and reading that Bible and the more time you're writing in your journal, the more time you're praying, God, through just osmosis or conversation or whatever it is, God is revealing himself to you and growing you and stretching you and teaching you things you would not learn otherwise. Can we just be honest for a second? If God gave us what we wanted, we wouldn't stay close to him. I mean, go read the Bible. The story of humanity has been when God blesses, the people get lazy and walk away. When they face hardship, they get close to God. If God had given me the success and the dreams and the purpose that I wanted to have quickly at this church, I wouldn't be here. I'd be in jail somewhere. My wife would have left me. Nobody could stand me. I'd be the most arrogant, egotistical jerk in the world, right? Because nobody had slow-cooked me and tenderized me and gotten to the inside of me. But feeling like you are a failure, feeling like you're not making progress, feeling like things aren't happening the way that you want them to happen, it gets you close to God. It gets you close to God and allows you to stay close to God. I can't tell you how many people I see come into this church month after month after month after month who are facing an incredibly difficult situation in their life and they're here and they're crying and they're praying and they're reaching out and God answers their prayer and they disappear because God gave them what they wanted. And as long as they didn't have it, they stayed close to him. We've got to stay close to God. Psalm 27, 7 and 8 says, The Lord is my strength and my shield. Sometimes We've got to stay close to God because sometimes we need his strength when we feel weak. We've got to stay close to God because sometimes we need him to be a shield when we just can't take an attack anymore, right? I trust him with all my heart. Sometimes when we don't trust, we've got to stay close to God so he helps us trust him some more. He helps me. My heart is filled with joy. Sometimes we've got to stay close to God so he fills us with joy because we don't have any joy, right? We're discouraged and depressed. We've got to stay close to God. The second thing we have to do, the first thing we've got to stay close to God, the second thing we have to do is we have to stay faithful in the small things. Stay faithful in the small things. And this is really hard to do when you feel like that you've earned the right to be past the small things. But God prioritizes or blesses or notices faithfulness more than anything else. More than talent, charisma, energy, intelligence. And the reason I know that is because the Bible says that when it's all said and done, at the end of time, we're going to line up in front of Jesus. He's either going to say, well done, good and faithful servant, or he's not. 
And he's not going to say, well done, good and talented servant, good and charismatic servant, you know, good and uh, wealthy servant. That's not what he's going to say. He's going to say good and faithful servant, which means God is going to assess based on where I had you and what I gave you, were you faithful? Were you faithful? So let me ask you this question this morning. If you were God, knowing what you know about you, would you give you what you want? Like, I know that God gave you this dream and this passion and this idea for a new business where you would own your own new business. But knowing how you work for your employer, if you were God, would you give you your own business? Your own employees? I know that God gave you a dream for you would be financially, and you're not there yet, but knowing what you know about you and how you handle the resources that God has given you now, would you give you more? Have you been faithful to tithe and be generous and be helpful and to budget and to be a good steward of what you have now? Or are you just whining and complaining because God's trying to teach you a lesson in the crock pot and you're ready to get what you want? Or the next time that you're in the pressure cooker financially, are you going to learn your lesson or are you just going to move on and let God teach you something? We have to stay faithful where we are serving in the season that God has us in. I can't go to Andrea two months in and say, that's it, have that baby right now, have it. Right now, let's just have that baby. Can't do that. She's got to stay faithful in the season that she's in. And when the time comes and it's right for us to hold the dream, God will give it to us. But not until that time comes. We've got to stay faithful. Stay close to God. Stay faithful in the small things. I want to end today by um, reading a prayer. It's just a one-sentence prayer that I wrote down. and I would I'm going to read it, and then I would like for us to kind of just pray it together. Very simple. It just says this. God, I believe you will grow me until you choose to promote me. Grant me patience and strength to not quit on the journey. God, I believe you will grow me until you choose to promote me. And promote me just represents whatever that dream is. God, I believe you're growing me until you give me that husband or that wife. God, I believe you're growing me until you give me that child. God, I believe you're going to grow me until you give me that business or that job or that money or that house. Or God, I believe you're growing me until you give me that calling, that, that purpose, that identity that I'm searching for. God, I believe you will grow me until you choose to promote me. Grant me patience and strength to not quit on the journey. They're going to throw that up on the screen. And I would just like for us to pray that together, just kind of read that out together uh, this morning. All right, you guys want to try it with me? Let's try it. God, I believe you will grow me until you choose to promote me. Grant me patience and strength to not quit on the journey. Come on, let's do it again. God, I believe you will grow me until you choose to promote me. Grant me patience and strength to not quit on the journey. Let's pray. God, I thank you that you are God and I'm not. I thank you that you work on your time and not on mine. 
And God, I thank you for all the times and the seasons that you've had me in the crock pot and the pressure cooker. And I know I whined about it and I complained about it. But God, you were developing me and shaping me and growing me and teaching me and training me. And I thank you, God, that you didn't give up on me when I gave up on myself. Or disqualify me when I didn't pass the test. God, I just pray this morning you would put new dreams in our heart new purpose in our heart, new calling in our heart and in our life. I I pray that today people whose dreams may have died would come back to life. People who don't have a sense of purpose would, would feel a sense of purpose today. A direction you're taking them, pointing them, leading them, God. God, I pray that you would give us the strength, the patience, the faith to stay faithful that wherever you have us on the journey right now, God, we're not where we want to be, but God, we believe that you're taking us somewhere towards our dreams, our purpose, and our calling. Nobody looking around, everybody heads bowed, everybody eyes closed. If you're here this morning and while I've been teaching or I've been speaking, you would say, Jason, I don't even really even know how to explain it, but here's all I know what to say is I feel like it's time for me to give my life to Jesus Christ. I feel like it's time for me to, to trust in Jesus and ask him to be the savior of my life. And I want to I pray a prayer today to be, to be saved, to follow Jesus. And you don't even really know how to explain it, but you, just, you know that it's time. Today is the time. This is your time. This is your moment for you to give your life to Jesus Christ. We're not going to embarrass you and make you stand up or come down front, I promise. We're just going to pray a simple prayer together. But if that's you and you would say, Jason, I want to give my life to Jesus Christ today, would you just lift your hand and make eye contact with me? You'd just say, Jason, I'm ready to know Jesus. I want to know Jesus today. I want to know Jesus. Maybe I did it one time, but I've gotten so far away, I don't even know how to describe what it is. But today is the day I'm ready to follow Jesus Christ, give my life to him. Just a few more seconds. I'm ready to give my life to Jesus today. God, I thank you that you are developing us, shaping us, working on us. In Jesus' name. Everybody stand up with me this morning. Andrea and the team, they're going to lead us just in one more song. We're going to sing that song again, Christ is Enough. And wherever we are on the journey, wherever we are in the process, can we just pray this and sing this as a prayer? That God, no matter where you have me, You are enough. Right where I'm at, God, you are enough. All right, come on, let's sing this out together and celebrate this morning.